Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring podcast, where Dr. Bradley Block, otolaryngologist, interviews experts in and out of medicine in order to get their take on how physicians and all healthcare practitioners can better help their patients, practices, colleagues, communities, and most of all, themselves. The ideas exp- The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. This podcast is intended for medical professionals. The information is to be used in the context of your own clinical judgment, and those on this podcast accept no liability for the outcomes of medical decisions based on this information. As the radiologists like to say, clinical correlation is required. This is not medical advice. And even though the magic of podcasting may make it seem like we're speaking directly in your ears, this does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. If you have a medical problem, seek medical attention. And now, Dr. Bradley Block. Welcome to episode four of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring podcast. We're here with Jason Hare, the patient experience coordinator for Glens Falls Hospital. I've known Jason basically my entire life. And I've always known him as an entertainer. So it seems appropriate that he's involved in something like this. But Jason, tell us, uh, how did you end up in that position? Sure. Well, th- first of all, Brad, thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast. I'm excited to, to chat with you about this today. So I've been in the patient experience coordinator role uh, for just under a year at Glens Falls Hospital. I've been in healthcare now for almost 20 years. Um, I started off in uh, credentialing in the medical staff office at a hospital for special surgery in New York City. Um, from there, I moved on to the uh, to the healthcare tech side of things, the for-profit side, I worked at uh, at Zocdoc. Uh, I, I, I helped run their their customer service division for about six years, and uh, uh, recently moved uh, from New York City to beautiful upstate New York, and was really excited uh, to get back into uh, an area where I would have more direct contact with patients uh, in a in a very direct healthcare setting. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a great role. It's a great role to have. So this is something that's really rapidly emerging in the healthcare field where we're recognizing that something that we've been lacking for a long time is, is customer service. And we're taking cues from industries that have, that have done that well. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that your role is really hugely important. Um, and so I think we should explore what that, what that entails, but you you had mentioned before the podcast that we should define what the patient experience is, which I think belies the fact that we as physicians may or may not have the same perspective as the patient on what this experience is. So let let's if you could define that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're you're absolutely right that this is more of an emerging thing now, and it does have ties to customer service because you know, like it or not, uh, our patients are consumers and they have choices. Um, there are lots of sites, you know, like ZocDoc, which I mentioned, Health Grades Vitals, you know, whether those reviews of, of uh, providers are fair or unfair, they're giving patients a voice and they're giving them a choice in, the, in their in their healthcare. So patient experience does have relations to customer service. I think what is a frequent um, misconception of patient experience is that, uh, is that it's patient satisfaction. And I don't think they're the same thing. Um, I think that patient experience is not actually about happiness. 
because we're in healthcare. We work in doctor's offices. We work in hospitals. We can't always make patients happy. And, and that's okay. Um, there are, there's no real universally recognized definition of patient experience, but one of my favorite ones, which was, um, was said by uh, Patrick Ryan, who's the CEO of Press Ganey, who I'm sure uh, that company I'm sure is familiar to, to some of your listeners, is uh, what he says is that the patient experience, you know, it's not about happiness. What it is about, it's about patients, um, and I'm going from memory on this here, but it's about patients being cared for, communicated with, respected, and having their care coordinated in, in such a way that they can get the best possible clinical outcome for whatever their circumstances are. So it's about you know communication, it's about care coordination, it's about respect. And when you look at patient experience in that way, you're looking um, at, at helping patients and their families reducing uh, their suffering you're helping them reduce suffering and reducing anxiety. And in order to do that, what you have to do is you have to look across the entire continuum of care. It's not just the doctors. It's, it's the front staff. It's the nurses. It's the techs. It's the website. It's you know the answering service. It's all of those things. Um, so patient experience is really about delivering truly patient-centered care. And it's about care that is, is uh, also safe and really high quality care. So again, not about making patients happy. I don't expect patients to be walking out of my hospitals, uh, out of my hospitals smiling uh, and, and tapping their toes and with a big thumbs up. If they are, that's great. But ultimately what I think it's about is it's about making patients and their families uh, feel cared for and feel respected and feel like their dignity has been honored. And so I, th I think that's what it is. So you want them to walk out feeling like they've been heard, they've been understood, and that they're, they understand their care and that they're making the right decision. Because your, your outcome may not, you might get the best care possible, and your outcome might not be great, but as long as they understand that that's a possibility and that the person that was looking after them really had their best interests and they got the the best care by someone who genuinely Absolutely. Cared about. You know, some family members will walk out of the hospital without the patient that they brought in. That patient may may die. And but you can still walk away from that experience and say, obviously this is not an experience that makes me happy, but we had a good experience uh here. We felt respected, we felt cared for. Uh we felt our loved ones uh decisions were respected, you know, we that kind of thing. I think if patients can walk away feeling like that, um, then you're on the right track. So I don't think any physician would disagree with that. But I think the ways that we can accomplish that would be up for debate, right? So, so what are some simple things you think that we could do to improve what we're doing already? So as, as a physician, I certainly want my patients to feel like I care about them, feel like I'm doing everything I can in their best interest and doing everything I can to make sure that they understand what's going on. Um, but clearly there's sometimes, sometimes a disconnect between those two things. So now, right now I'm just talking about not the ancillary staff, not the rest of the experience, but just that doctor patient relationship. Do you, do you have any tips for me so that I can make sure that, that they really feel like I, I care about them and their concerns and make sure that they leave understanding what's going on. Also, 
respectfully in a time efficient sure, way. Sure, sure. And there are, you know, it's it's easy for me to say, these are the things that you have to do and, and doctors can very rightfully say, but I have all of these other things I have to worry about. I've got a patient roster for the day that that is, you know, down to the ground. I've got so many patients I have to see in this time. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're not taking the time to make that that one patient that, you know, is your most important patient at that time, right? Um, if you're not taking the time to make that person feel cared for, then, then what's the point? So, uh, so yeah, as we've been saying in this, in this discussion already, you know, ultimately what do patients want? They want the same thing, uh, that your kids want, that your significant other wants, that your coworkers want, and they just, they want to be heard. So there's, there's no faking that, that step or, or you have to be very good at it to fake it. There's, but there's ultimately you have to make sure that your patients are heard. In terms of the the kind of the quick and easy things that I think can go a long way in making that happen. So here are some suggestions. Number one, before you walk into that room, take a deep breath. Just take a second to let everything else go. You got to let go of that patient list in front of you because right now the only patient that's important is the one that you're about to see. Let that let that go. Let whatever happened before go. Make yourself centered to to meet with that patient. Come in. Introduce yourself to the patient and introduce yourself to the family. The family is equally as important as the patient um, because just from a per, like a practical standpoint, when they return those surveys or they leave their comments, a lot of the time it's not the patients leaving those comments. It's not it's it's the family member that's doing that. You know, I'm I'm in a role where I see uh, complaints and concerns come in from from patients all the time, and it's their their loved one or you know their their spouse their daughter their relative someone like that so make sure you're introducing yourself to patients and family who you are what your name is this is a pet peeve of mine to be honest when doctors come into a room when they're seeing me or they're seeing my kids and they don't say who they are and they don't they don't you know they don't start with that uh make eye contact make sure you're making that's that's an excellent point actually is it the physician i just assume that they know <laughs> that they're here to see me right who they make an appointment with they made an appointment yeah. to see Dr. Block that, at 10.30. So when Dr. Block, when someone um, who looks <laughs> male walks in at, just because I assume they, they can see my beard on the picture when they make the appointment, um, they when I walk in at 10.30 and they assume that I'm Dr. Block. Now, this certainly some of my female colleagues have, have problems with that because there's this you know, they'll, they'll sometimes be mistaken for nurses, which is right. clearly a, a problem. But w yes, I assume that when I walk in the room, they know that I'm the doctor because they sure. made an appointment with me, right? I didn't make the appointment for them. But clearly you're saying that that's a mistake on my part. And so something that I need. Yeah, to, I think so. Because when you think about it, you know, some of your patients are booking with you directly. Some of them might be coming in through a, through their, a referral, right? So they're, they're, they're told you're going to go see Dr. Block is the same as Dr. Smith is the same as Dr. Jones in terms of in terms of all that, right? So there could be that. There could have also been three or four people that came in to see them beforehand. My daughter just went to see an ENT and the the nurse practitioner came in first. And it was a little confusing at first when the nurse practitioner came in. I, I thought, wait, is, is this the person I'm seeing or, or are we going to be seeing somebody else? Um, so so there's, there's that as well. But the other thing to keep in mind um, is that often patients are in pain and they're scared 
So their faculties are not going to be at the same level that you might expect them to always be, especially if you're in an area, uh, you know, like a, a, a really emergent area, right? You're in the emergency room or something like that, you know? So I think it's, and, and also it's, it's just nice manners, right? Like it's just nice manners to come in and introduce yourself to someone. And now you're creating, the minute you do that, the minute you look them in the eye and you say, hi, I'm so-and-so and you've maybe confirmed their name for them. Are you, are you John? Are you, you know, are you, you know, are you the patient and you introduce yourself to the other people? You're saying, okay, we're here. We're present in this room together. We're creating a relationship. We are starting our relationship right now. And even doing that can help put people who are in pain and frightened at ease. So introduce yourself to people, make eye contact with them, right? Don't be looking away. I mean, obviously you got to look away to make your notes, write in your computer, write in your notebook, obviously, but make eye contact. The other thing that I really like is, uh, and I know this is, this is not a new thought, but is to uh, sit at eye level with them when you can, right? Try to, if, if there's a way to do it where you can sit at eye level and not have your back to the family, you're in great shape. Right? Because the family is really, they're, they're potentially a very large part of the care plan. So you want to involve them in that. Yeah, the electronic medical record definitely makes that sure. challenging. And we hear lots of complaints. Oh, you know, it's, it's a barrier between me and my patient. It's, it's one thing that I've found useful is, is dictation software. So I, I use Dragon. So it, it, I'm, um, I receive no to full disclaimer. <laughs> I'm not being reimbursed, reimbursed for this. But, but something that I've found useful is, um, rather than sitting there typing, although certainly I sometimes do if I have to make notes, if it's a complicated story, but I'll listen to the entire story uh, and then I will dictate back to them what I heard so that that shows that I was listening and they were understood. And this is what their story actually sounds like when said in chronological order, because generally when people describe their experience, it comes out in the order of severity. Mm -hmm. At least this is what I've found in, in terms of severity or urgency or importance, which says nothing for chronology, which actually makes it more difficult for us to hear and understand. So then you repeat it back in chronological order, and then they know that that yeah. they've been heard. And so that way you're not looking at the screen, yes. you're looking at them. And we all know from, from medical school, this is one of the things that I think was pretty universally taught when I was in medical school, which was that the patient thinks that you've spent more time with them if you're sitting rather than standing. And so they always feel like you're trying to leave if you're standing. So make sure to sit, but you're making the point even further, try and make sure that you're, you're on eye level. And if the computer is in, is situated in such a way, you know, it's really, the onus is really on you to m situate yourself so that you can, you can interact with the patient, whether that means using a laptop instead of the desktop or right there, there are ways to do it. If you take. Absolutely. Time. And I love Brad, what you just said about um, taking the time to kind of understand the story and, and recount it back uh, to patients. This is actually something when I was at ZocDoc is something that we taught to a lot of our, our reps who were on the phone speaking with, with customers, patients or doctors every day is you want to understand what the problem is. And the best way to do that is to uh, paraphrase it or even sometimes just plain old repeat it back to them and say, okay, so this is what I've got so far, or this is what I I hear you're saying, or, or just, just to make sure I've got this straight. And then you go back and you recount it. Uh, we have found um, in the customer service world that when you don't take the time to do that step, the, the two paths of what the customer is telling you or the patient is telling you and what you think they're telling you can, can diverge really quickly. And you don't, you may not even ever figure that out in, in the span of the interaction. 
right? You may, or if you're lucky, you might find it out at the end. So some people feel this is silly. It's like, why am I going to, you know, the person said they were here for, uh, you know, a sinus infection. I'm going to say, okay, let me just get, I just want to make sure I got the straight. So you're here for a sinus infection. Yes. That sounds a little bit silly, but, um, taking the time to make sure that you're repeating back or finding a way to, to, to acknowledge that back to the patient says, okay, we've established this relationship and we are on the same page. I think that's hugely important also because very commonly there's a question behind the question, right? There's, yes. there's the question that they're asking, but then there's, there's something kind of underneath there, maybe a bigger problem, maybe a more complicated one that, that they're really like there's subtext there that they may not. And that putting that out there really clarifies a lot in the visit. So if you can figure that out at the beginning, if it really does exist, uh, if there really is a question behind the question, then that also makes it, uh, and, and then like it's in our financial best interest because then you've just saved yourself a ton of time uh, for the rest of the visit. That's right. By, by, by clarifying it and putting it out. That's there. right. That's right. And I think, I think when you take the time to do that and when you're doing it with eye contact and you're sitting with them at eye level, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of getting away from that classic kind of paternalistic view of the doctor patient relationship, right? The one that, that says you are the patient and you are down here and I am the doctor and I am up here and I'm going to now tell you what, to, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do. Some people are very comfortable. Both doctors and patients are very comfortable with that relationship. Um, the doctors that I like are the ones that can kind of, uh, you know, meet me on my level, you know, connect with me, you know, connect with me as a person and take the time to look at me and repeat that story back. So now they, now they understand where I'm coming from and then they can get onto the deeper parts of the conversation. Like you said, what is the story behind the story? Um, which then gets into deeper questions. Like what are your, uh, what are your goals? for your health? What are your goals from this visit? What do you, you know, if you've got, obviously you're here because, um, you know, unless it's a basic checkup, you're here because something is, something is broken. Something is not working the way you want it to work. So is this a simple fix or is this going to be more complicated? And it's like, what, where do you, where do you want to be in, you know, a month, six months, a year, depending on, you know, what they're coming in for. Um, and once yeah. you can, and once you understand what their goals are, then I think the best thing you can do is you can present, okay, based on what your goals are, these are what your options are. And we can have a, we can have a dialogue about what, what you feel is the best for you and what I feel is the best for you. And now we're, and now we're really having a conversation, right? You're still the authority. You're still the doctor, but I feel like, oh my gosh, you really took the time to understand me. You asked me questions that maybe no doctor has asked me before. Um, and I think all of that can happen when you're, uh, when you're really taking the time to establish that relationship. So taking that deep breath before you go in, introducing yourself to patients and family, uh, continuing to make eye contact to all of them, sitting at eye level, making sure you're recounting their story back to them and, and getting to them about what their ultimate goals are. So I, I think this is what we're describing right now is similar to that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is <laughs> full of truisms, right? Like people like hearing their own name. Um, people right. like when you smile at them. People like, right, like things that everybody knows, but most of us don't do. So I think um, how do we make that stuff happen? My suggestion, and I'd be interested in your feedback on this, would actually be put a little sticky note 
somewhere where you go. I mean, I have my laptop where I, after I leave the patient room, I like, this is where I type. This is where I return phone calls. And what I can, what I'm going to set up after this interview is I'm just going to put a little sticky note on the counter and it's going to say, take a deep breath, introduce yourself, you know, re- uh, look them in the eye, face them, recount their story. Yeah. So that between each appointment, I look at that and remember to do that. And that's going to need to be there for a couple of months. For sure. Until it, until it starts to happen every time. And if you genuinely want to do these things each time, you, then you, you need to develop them into a habit. And in order to develop them into the habit, you need to do them over and over and over and over. And I think it's important to not just go, yeah, I'll start doing that, to genuinely commit to changing your behavior. At least I need to, because I certainly don't do all of these things right now. And if I'm going to improve my relationships with my patients, then I need to do them. I, I'm I'm going to do that so that I don't forget because otherwise I'll start running behind. I'll get frustrated. I will forget. And I'll just go back to what I was doing before, which obviates this entire conversation. So I certainly don't want that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I say all these steps like, you know, and you outline them on a post-it note as if they are simple, but they're not for some people, you know, not many people might say, you know, I didn't get into medicine to create these you know, gushy relationships with people. I came into med. I, I got into medicine because I wanted to fix things that were broken. You know, but as I said before, you know, patients do have a choice as to who they're going to see, and whether we like it or not, patients are saying that what is important to them is not just their clinical care. They, they, you know, they expect you to be clinically, you know, wise and put them on the right path. But the honest truth of the matter is, is that even if you're wrong. If you have taken the time to really establish a relationship with your patient, they will often let that go, and and that's the same for a, a lot of different a lot of different um, areas. You know, if you've got someone that's nice, you will forgive a lot of stuff. But there's been studies that have shown that surgeons and primary care doctors are uh, they're sued less by patients that had really good bedside manner and really good communication, really good rapport and respect for the patients, like. They just, they do it less. They say they're, they're less likely to sue someone that you like. That's right. They say, they say it won't make it completely go no. away, but it'll decrease the risk. They say, you know what? I, I, I don't care. I don't care if he did this thing wrong. I love him. So we were talking about some of these potentially simple things, but the, the tricky thing, the hard one is the empathy component. And that is I think that can be challenging for anybody to, you know, empathy is not the same as sympathy, right? It's really putting yourself in patient's shoes, understanding where they're coming from, not judging them because patients are savvy and can tell when you're judging them. Um, but it is, it is absolutely a muscle that requires time and effort. And I, I think it's challenging for a number of reasons. One of them, and I was talking to someone in our hospital about this recently, uh, he brought this up and I thought it was a really good point, is that as doctors or healthcare professionals even we may not have the best understanding of truly what the patient experience is because so you're you're affiliated with a hospital right yes yeah so if if god forbid your children or your wife or someone or you know gets or a family member gets sick and you take them to the emergency department of your hospital chances are you're probably going to say to them by the way i'm dr brad block i have privileges here 
et cetera, et cetera. And why wouldn't you? Like I would at my own hospital, I would do that and I'm nobody, but I would go in and say, you know, I'm the patient experience coordinator here, blah, blah, blah. Because at that moment, I want to get the, you know, I want the best possible clinical outcome and I want to use anything in my arsenal to try and get me specialized care. I become very selfish in that scenario. Um, but we'll, we'll use that if we have, if I, I feel like anybody in healthcare will use any trick that they can have at their disposal to try and get the best possible care. But you got to think about what it's like for somebody who has no pull, who has no connections, who doesn't know that building, who is, you know, and, and also has the same things that we have, which is that they're in pain and they're frightened. So um, I think we have to really think about what is this like? What is this like for, for this patient? Even our, you know, even our patients who come in seeking narcotics, you know, drug, drug seeking patients, obviously every facility has their share of them, but we still have to try and understand those people. And if we judge them, you know, they'll, they'll come back and they'll tell us, they'll say, I was made to feel like I was a, like I was a drug seeker. I was made to feel less than. And so empathy is really the, the trickiest of the things that I think we all need to work on. Um, and if we can understand, if we can work to understand where patients are coming from, uh, the whole length of our relationship with them is going to be a lot stronger. Do you have any, anything that you could recommend for us that would help with that, that would, where, where that might help me connect with my patients a bit better? make them feel that I'm connecting with them? Well, you know, I think it's kind of the things that we talked about before, you know, some of those steps, but I, I think it, and this is something that we also, you know, taught at, at ZocDoc is that, you know, you have to, you have to, you can let people know that you understand where they're coming from. You know, you can say, I'm sorry, that must be really frustrating for you. Something like that. Um, I think, I think even just acknowledging that because we can acknowledge you know, all day long that someone has an, a specific injury, a specific malady, right? But taking the time to acknowledge what those feelings are behind it, um, sort of, sort of, kind of like the story behind the story, like you said before. Um, I think that can help. Is actually putting putting words to it and letting patients know that you understand where they are, right? Like I said, this whole thing is about meeting them where they are, understanding what their fears and their their goals are, but saying, you know, I understand that this is a lot of information I'm giving you and I can understand that'll be, that, that might be scary for you. So I think this actually leads into a common patient complaint, which is when we're running behind. So I think we can, we can, we can like meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. So I, I think a lot of times when I'm running behind, my impulse is to maybe explain why I'm running behind. Oh, there was a complicated patient. There was an emergency. A bunch of people showed up late, you know, something like that explaining. So that's not meeting them where they are. That's right. having them meet me where that's I right. am. They don't care. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I think to that effect, meeting them where they are would be more just apologizing and saying, listen, because they don't want it. Nobody likes to feel like they're not valued, right? You spoke about that earlier. That's right. Like they're not cared about. So if I'm, if I've just made someone wait for an hour, that person feels like I have zero regard for their time and zero regard for anything about them. So how are they going to trust me to take care of them if they think I, I just don't care about their time at all? So I think in that situation, my inclination is to try to explain myself, but really what I should be doing from what you're saying is, listen, I'm really sorry. 
I just want you to recognize that I do value your time and I feel terrible or terribly that you've been made to wait this long. And I'm really, I'm trying, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I should say that I'm trying to do my best or I'm trying to keep up or just, just apologize. You know, I, I saw something on, on, uh, on Twitter of all places recently that said, what if we reframed it instead of apologizing, instead of saying, sorry, I'm late. We said, thank you for waiting for me. Right. We took the net. We took the negative. Oh, I, I just thought about this. We took the we take the negativity out of it. We take the negativity of a word like sorry out of it, and we express gratitude for their patience. Um, you know, and you don't have to. I, I think you're on the right track here. Like, I, I don't think you need to. Um, you don't need to fall on your sword about it. You can you can say, I understand your time is valuable. Thank you for waiting for me. I'm sorry I'm late. Even if you want to say that and say, and then what you do is everything you do from that moment on proves that they're the most important person. You know, when, when my first daughter was born, my wife's OBGYN, uh, a, a, a really well-known OBGYN in, in Manhattan, and this guy is notorious. His patients wait anywhere from an hour to like two and a half hours. And every, t- every time oh, we were man. in that waiting room, I sat there cursing him under my breath. I'm like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this guy's making <laughs> us wait. My time is valuable. I took off. A... When we got in the room, he made us feel like we were the only people that mattered in his world. And, and this is a guy who had like celebrity patients on the walls, right? I felt, we felt like one of these people. He spent a lot of time with us. He never made it feel like he had to get out the door and see the 20 other patients that had been waiting two hours. Uh, he spent as much time with us as we needed. And every single time, every single time I walked out of the appointment, I was like, I love that guy. Like, 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 like it was totally, it was totally okay. And I wound up, I wound up justifying it to myself. I'm like, well, I can see why we had to wait so long. It's because he spends all this time with patients. That's a, that's a, that's an extreme scenario, right? Yeah. I, I don't think we should be no, no, no. highlighting that as something that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying take all the time, but, but here's the thing, <laughs> think, but here's the thing, right? You don't have to take all that time. <laughs> you just have to make sure that the time that you are taking is really quality time. Well, you're not distracted, right? You're like, you're spending minimal time looking, looking at your computer, um, you know, as, as minimum. Yeah. And, and you're really, and I think the, to that effect, the eye contact is, is really important, right? Like if you're not distracted by other things, then you shouldn't be distracted by other things. And it's, it's sometimes, you know, maybe you're trying to document as you're talking to them. And, and sometimes there are ways to do that, that, that maybe I'm just trying to think of myself as the example. Maybe I shouldn't be documenting things that they're saying as they're saying them, because <laughs> then it seems like I'm playing Minesweeper when I should be when I'm, you know, just really just typing in right. w- what they're saying. Um, but but yeah, if you're if you're really absorbed in what they're saying, then it makes them seem like they're the most important thing in the room and the most important thing in the world. If you're really if you're really that focused on them. And I think there are ways to do, there are ways to, to really practice that. And I think that should end up on my little index card too, right? Just don't be distracted. That's right. And, and if you're concerned about what they're going to think about you playing Minesweeper, that's a simple one too. You can say, so listen, the way I, I generally do things is I, I don't want to miss anything. So I, I take a lot of notes. I type a lot while I'm listening and I, you've got my full attention. I'm just typing at the same time. If that becomes a distraction for you, let me know. Something like that. Now you've put it out there. Now they don't have to worry. Is he playing Minesweeper? 
Is he typing an email? Like you've, you've told them what, what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, obviously I would suggest that any doctor, if they're not in this space already is get comfortable with typing, but also looking at someone while you're typing. Like I can, I, I can do that at this point. So I can look at somebody in the eye and completely just type and I can correct my typos later, you know? Um, but just, just let, let patients know what you're doing. Don't assume that they know. Um, and, and, you know, once it's out there, then okay, it's fine. Great. Great, great. So, so far, I think we've gotten a lot of uh, recommendations from you that are pretty high return on investment. So, you know, they don't seem like a whole lot of effort, but they will really end up paying off in the long run if we can turn them into into habits. Um, do you think there's anything else that that you think that we could do that would be a high return on investment? One thing that we had spoken about before the interview was how we treat our staff. So, you know, in, in, in our offices, there, is, there are multiple levels before the patients get to us. Uh, there are the people answering the phone. There are the people uh, greeting them and entering their information. Then maybe you have uh, a nurse or a medical assistant or a physician assistant before they finally see the doctor. And so how can, what are some high yield things that we can do to make sure that those people as well are maximizing the patient experience? Absolutely. Because like, like I said in the beginning, right, it's about the entire continuum of care. And that involves, that involves absolutely everybody. So this is where I see patient experience going in the future is, is all of these different areas, um, you know, from people from the doctors to the nurses to the housekeeping staff, to the dietary staff, if you're in a hospital, finding ways that they can intersect and, and meet patients where they are, right? So when it comes to, you know, nurses and you know, PCAs, text, things like that. They, you know, they're a big part of this as well, especially in a hospital setting, because in a hospital setting, they're going to see the patients a lot more than the doctors. And quite honestly, you know, those other staff, they can, they can often make or break the experience. So I think what that requires is that requires a connected team. That's not necessarily easy to do, but I think it really pays off, right? You have to have a, you have to have a staff of people that feel like they are all playing on the same team. Um, in uh, Atul Gawande's book, uh, The Checklist Manifesto, he talks about how before surgeries, um, the entire care team would stand there and they would they would all introduce themselves and what their role was. And this felt awkward and silly for some people, but uh, it ultimately made people feel like they were part of a team, even when some of them had never even worked together before. So what that requires is that requires people, you know, the office staff and nurses and all the medical assistants, all of those people to feel, to be made to feel as if they are just as important in the patient care. It requires people to treat each other with respect uh, and dignity. You know, everyone in, in this way, I like to say everyone is basically a patient, right? Like you have to treat everybody that way. But if, um, if everybody feels like they're playing for the same team, if nurses feel like they are being treated with the same amount of respect, um, you know, as doctors are, if they feel like the doctors are treating them well, um, if the office staff feels that too, and everyone's really working for the same team, and that team is the patient-centered care team, um, then I think that goes a long way. But when there when there are um, when there are separations between those teams, when people don't feel like they're as they're they're important, that their roles don't have value and meaning, that's when you see people, I think, start to check out and. The other thing that I'll say, and you know, is obviously being in healthcare is really difficult. You know, you've got you're seeing people who 
are generally not at their, they're not the best versions of themselves when they're coming into the office, right? They, they may be, uh, they're, they're, like I said, they're hurt, they're frightened, they're scared, they're, they're in pain. Um, they're, they're probably not presenting their best versions and they may take it out on you. And that is not easy to, to handle. And that can really burn people out. But the thing that stops them from getting burned, burned out is if you have uh, a team around them that take care of each other, that creates engagement. So really you need, you need like, team engagement there. I make that sound very simple. It's it's not. Exactly. So what I was going to ask is if there's something concrete that you could recommend that we do um, in order to make these other staff members feel valued, feel like part of the team, feel like they're on equal footing. Sure. Make eye contact. No, I mean, but I'm half joking, but I am also serious. Like, you know, when, if we're talking about an office setting, when you walk in in the morning, and I'm not talking about you, Brad, I'm talking about the general you, when you walk in in the morning, are you taking the time to say hello to the people you work with? Are you, are you making, I, I, know you're talking. I am talking, yeah, I actually am talking about you. Um, are you, are you, are you making eye contact with them? Are you talking to them, asking them how their day, their day, you know, it, as, as a quick aside here. Um, when I was uh, when I was working at Zocdoc, uh, at some point in my role there, I started blocking off the first fifteen minutes of my day. And I know not everybody can do this. I, I would block off the first fifteen minutes of my day to just talk to everybody on my team, just because I kind of wanted to and I wanted to see how they were. And when surveys came back about my performance, about like what I should keep doing, that was like the unanimous number one that thing that people said I should keep doing. I should keep coming in. And- so basically, they were like, "I want to just keep talking about me." <laughs> So here's my feedback. In the morning, he asks me about me. I want more of that. I want to keep talking about me. Well, well what, what they want is they want to feel like this is not just, I am this person up here and you are this person. Again, it's not the paternalistic relationship, right? It's, it's saying our relationship goes beyond just you answer the phones and I treat the patients. So if, if I may make a, a suggestion, I, so what I would recommend and Granted, I have no expertise in this. I, all of my expertise is in ear, nose, and throat doctoring and surgery. Um, but would be for those staff members, you should know their names. You should know their spouse's names. You should know their children's names. And if they, and if they have something, like some of them are studying to be an ultrasound tech. Some of them are studying to go to PA school. Some of them are, right, if they have some aspiration or some, just know something, yep. know, know, know their family members' names so that you can ask them about them and then know just something additional about themselves so you can ask. So if you're able to ask them that, then that shows that you genuinely care about them as a person and their work will ultimately reflect that. Absolutely. So as far as like a concrete step that you can take should be that. Sure. Yeah. Because they'll want to do a better job to, for you, you know, they, they, they don't want to let your, 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 your patients down. They, you know, you've, you've created a level of respect there. And I, I, I you know, I hope people aren't rolling their eyes at, at this thought of, you know, of doing these things. And you know what, if it doesn't feel natural, fake it a little bit, you know, and the more that you do it, the more natural it will become. People will at least see that you're trying, which is, which is an important thing. Um, but yeah, get to know those people. Um, even if it's just, like you said, even if it's just a small thing or two, that creates a relationship. All we're trying to do here is create relationships. 
So as a little bit of an aside, I'm, I'm going to end the podcast just talking about myself. So uh, the reason that I became interested in even having this podcast is, is that my wife, uh, whenever I would go to some social event with her, she would just kind of float around the room and then leave the party and everyone felt like they had a new best friend in her. And she loves that type of setting where she can just interact with new people and she's genuinely concerned about um, you know, about, about everybody. This is why she finds all of them interesting. And yeah, this, this is why your wife and my wife get along so well. Exactly. But if, if, and you know me forever for a very long time until only recently, I was a a curmudgeon, right? (laughs) I didn't want to interact with other people. I was angry. I listened to heavy metal. I had a frown on my face all the time. Like I was just an angry guy that didn't want to interact with anybody. And I thought, it was because I didn't want to interact with anybody, but it was really because I was not good at it, which set up this negative reinforcement cycle of I'm not good at it, but really I'm going to rationalize it that I don't like it. And so then I just avoided it and it just, you know, went downhill from there. But when I started learning more about it and, you know, observing my wife and reading and as I got better at it, I enjoyed it more and then I got better at it and I enjoyed it more. And I'm, and I'm certainly that translates into the, my patient's experience as well, because I try to apply those interaction skills to that interaction. And I think it's helped me. And and this is one of the main reasons that I've launched this podcast is I think that in medicine, we really have a, a, a lot to learn and myself included um, in, in that space. So really, I really, I think we only scratched the surface We've been at this for for f- over forty minutes, um, and it feels like time just went by in a second. So I, I really, Jason, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to to talk to me for this interview. I'd certainly love to have you back again, where we can talk about other things, uh, patient experience related. And thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. It's been a been a great conversation. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Find all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and write us a review. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash physician's guide to doctoring. If you're interested in being a guest or have a question for a prior guest, send a message or post a comment.